Hey everybody, and welcome back to the podcast. We hope you're having an awesome Lent so far. On today's episode, Anthony talks with Marvi Delis and Therese Busen, who are part of the team that raised $80,000 for the 8 Beats film project. Marivy and Therese talk about their experience on the project and share some great insights about crowdfunding, volunteering, and overcoming the fear of getting started. Big thanks to our Patreon sponsors who made this podcast possible. Let's get going. I want to hear about, one, what your roles were in 8 Beats and how you got involved, and then just kind of like why you got involved. And we'll start with Mari V. I, well, I saw the 8 Beats stuff on Catholic Creatives, and I was like, oh, this is a really cool project. I like film. I wanted to do filmmaking. But when I first saw it, I'm like, I don't really know what to sign up under, so I'm just going to wait and see how this goes. And at one point, um, I think on like the job collab thing, I saw this really cool job in Dallas that I was wanting to apply for, so I just kind of went back and forth with Anthony about it and I ended up not applying for the job but at one at the end of the conversation he's like hey do you want to do this eight beats thing and I was like yeah I thought about it and like okay why not and that's kind of then I got on a, one of these calls so why not the why yeah not? why hey, not why not let's do this <laughs> little, it's, uh, little, famous last words <laughs> little did I know little did I know uh well how that was gonna snowball into this awesome thing that we're all working on so so what do you do right now? What's your what's your thing? Um, so right now, I actually work at a secular organization. It's a not-for-profit that does um, patient support. So they do patient advocacy, education, and they also sponsor research for a rare disease community. So uh, it's, it's a small community, but it's really cool. And I work in the communications. So because it's small, I wear a lot of hats. I do graphic design, videos, website stuff, like... You name it, I probably am responsible for it. Social media, all that stuff. So it's kind of jack of all trades, master of a few. (laughs) (laughs) Now newly a master of cobbling together Kickstarter, Indiegogo crowdfunding campaigns. Yes, yes. I also certified certified 8 Beats Indiegogo person. (laughs) So uh, Mari V was, for those of you who don't know, was kind of behind the scenes, but worked very, very hard to run um, run the Indiegogo campaign. She was mainly in charge of that. So uh, put it together and help strategize around it, but also help to uh, make sure everything happened for it. And um, Therese uh, Busen was also our, our writer and chief strategist officer <laughs> for the, the project. So Therese, uh, what were you doing at the time? Like, what was your, your job? Because I know that's changed. And what are you doing now? Uh, yeah, at the beginning, um, I initially signed up as a copywriter, I think. Um, when I saw the 8 Beats website, I was like, gosh, I have to be a part of this. This is kind of everything that I've been wanting to do and see the Catholic world, creative Catholic world do for a really long time. Like um, reaching out to people who aren't in the Catholic bubble Um and just making really good quality films. So when I saw that, I was like, okay, I have to be part of this just somehow. So I signed up initially as a copywriter, um, just hoping to kind of get my hands on really any part of it. Um, and then Anthony was like, hey, do you want to be like the marketing director? I was like, oh, <laughs> all right. <laughs> I mean, I feel really in over my head, but sure, we'll give it a shot. Um, so that was kind of my role at the beginning was um, 
yeah, just kind of coming up with uh, the general strategy for the entire thing, um, as far as marketing goes. <laughs> <laughs> the general for everything. <laughs> yeah, just kind of everything. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it was kind of like a very um, 30,000 feet up in the air kind of role. Like I was doing a lot of stuff behind the scenes, kind of directing people and kind of making strategic decisions, um, which was a lot of fun. Um, so there was a lot of work that went into it in the first few weeks as we rolled out the Indiegogo campaign and stuff. Um, and then kind of after that, it kind of became more maintenance and helping out with like social media strategy, um, which I've done quite a bit of and, um, just any kind of other writing stuff that came up. Um, and then since then, I've just been kind of taking a more of a backseat role, um, with a lot of the transitions that have been happening and my family's life with being pregnant and we've been moving and just lots of things going on. But um, yeah, it's been a lot of fun. What were you doing for your day job? My day job was working as a writer for the Denver Archdiocese newspaper, um, which uh, I'm not working there anymore, obviously, because I've moved. <laughs> so now I'm kind of part, part freelance writer and editor and part stay-at-home mom. <laughs> right. So everybody, everybody listening to this, hire Therese. <laughs> Yeah. So I wanted to frame this whole thing as like how not to raise $80,000. I feel like that's going to be my, like that's going to be the little clickbait uh, tag as the name of this because it was uh, probably the most crazy and <laughs> I don't know how to describe it, but just like the chaos of the first two weeks of the project was out of control. So I would love to hear your perspective now that you've kind of gotten to take the breath and like okay we did it it's done but let's look back what was that first two weeks of jumping into the project like for you guys well i want to say that it's a really good thing that i had planned to have a vacation that week even though i didn't know that this was going to happen like way back when i planned my vacation so like god made things circumstances happen so i had a vacation that first week that we were launching the indiegogo so yeah, that was that was amazing. You know, the, the Lord makes things happen the right way when we when we trust in him. But um, yeah, it was crazy. We were kind of figuring it out. Um, we really wanted to start on Kickstarter. But when we we thought because it was like the platform everybody's using, but the further we got into it, the more complicated we realized how these things were. So um, after chasing people down with late night phone calls, we decided to switch over to Indiegogo, which ended up working out really well for us. And it was just, it was a lot of calls, a lot of video calls, a lot of text messages, a lot of emails. I don't know. What did we do? It was like smoke signals. Yeah. Well, I mean, it went from a team of what, three people to a team of like 80 people in three days. And I happened just during those three days to dip out of the project and go to Napa. So <laughs> yeah, I think you had invited me right before you dipped out for the three days and so you're like here you go here's the whole project and then like you were out and I was like okay um I don't know what we're doing or who these people are um and it was like a team on the marketing team um gosh maybe like seven to twelve people something like that and we were kind of um managing all of them and trying to come up with some kind of strategy to get the ball rolling at least as to what we what the heck we were even doing. Um, and I remember just trying to put together a plan that was like super rough just so people had something to start with. And then as we were going, people were like kind of 
just winging it. All of us were just winging it really, because we were like, we got to put something out there. We're not sure how this works yet. Uh, we're not sure what we're doing as far as our own roles. So we're just going to try to make the best of it. And it was pretty chaotic uh, as far as communication between everybody, because we're all across spread out across the country. Um, so that was pretty insane. I remember the first few days telling Brett, and I was like, I don't know if I can do this. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it w it did kind of die down a little bit after like the first week. But yeah, the first few days were like the absolute nuts. <laughs> yeah, but the groundwork that you laid in those documents and the whole plan, that is what kept us on the ball, like cobbled together, but it was still great. And that's that's what we were able to follow, like, with writing the copy for the Indiegogo, for deciding how what our like social media calendar was gonna look like. Like all everything built on the other. It was it was really even though it was kind of scattered, it had its level of cohesion that really made it work. And also never add hundred and thirty people to a Slack channel. It doesn't it doesn't work when you get like five thousand notifications and a thousand of them are from me asking 20 questions. <laughs> yeah, the I would say a good 80% of the Slack communication was Mari V following up on people. But um, I think just for context for people, like, and even for you guys, a part of what was so uh, difficult about it was that we, we realized that in order for the teams, like the production teams to get going, um, the video teams we needed to have we needed to have the money pretty quickly like it, it had to get put put in people's banks by I think it was like the the end of September uh, and so that meant that we had a month and a half to run the campaign and then only three days or four days to actually put it out and plan it so we had we kind of realized this right when we were getting going and uh, had just a lot of pressure. So whenever people got put onto the team, we were like, the ideal would have been for sure to spend a month and a half just doing groundwork before we even put it out, you know? Uh, and also for their already to be funding. I think one of the things that I learned with this is that <laughs> first mistake, mistake number one, uh, Crowdfunding is for marketing. It's not for raising money. It's not. It's just not. People don't realize this, but I think our uh, our hope was that we would put this out and there would be a certain like return on investment in terms of just like we can put it out. It's going to be kind of viral. We're going to put things out. It's going to be like this community thing and people are going to put in their two cents or whatever. But in reality, it was like the whole point of the, the Kickstarter was to get lots of exposure and uh if if the ideal the ideal world would be getting funding seed funding that can be like the basic to take the pressure off so that whenever you go into crowdfunding you're able to plan that well you you already have footage for you know for us it's a movie so like we already have things to show for it it's not like we're going from zero uh completely fabricating it you know so those were all ma major major number one mistake or we're not mistake we're forced to do it that way but uh the ideal world did not take place from the get-go you know right that stood out to me right away was how crowdfunding works super well when you have an actual product to show 
Um, and that's usually how it works. Usually people have some kind of demo and they show it off and people are like, oh my gosh, heck yeah, I want that. With a movie, you're trying to get the funding for the movie. So you haven't shot anything except maybe a few clips of like, um, I don't know, just some idea of what it's going to be. You don't have anything to show. So basically you're trying to sell people an idea which is so much harder to do when you don't have something tangible. Um, so initially trying to get the ball rolling with crowdfunding for a film, it was a really slow start for us because that that thing right there was what really made it tough. Yeah, I think what really helped us and made all the difference for us was the fact that the filmmakers that are working on this film have such a robust portfolio like of the things that they've done. So we were able to use that work and say, hey, the guy that made this film, the guy that made that film, like these are the guys that are working on it. And that gave us the credibility, I think, was really being able to show like, hey, look, look this is th these are the guys that are working on this. And, and this is the kind of film we're trying to make. And I think that helped us a lot. Um, the film treatment that all the filmmakers put together, that was a great, I mean, I don't know how many you know, views we have on that document, but I know that that was a really great piece to just sharing those stories. And, and the stories are so powerful. So if you guys haven't gotten a chance to read the film treatment, go over to the 8 Beats movie website. And it's, it's just like reading some of those like brought me to tears the first time I saw it. And that's how I knew that it was worth like staying up you know, till two in the morning when I know that I have to go be at a job at nine o'clock the next day to like be able to get the stuff done. That's why it was so important. I remember my, one of my parents was telling me like, well, are they paying you to do this? What are you doing? Like, where, and why are you wasting, like, you know, and the idea of why are you wasting your time on this? And I'm like, no, like, I believe in this. Like, we're going to do something amazing. This is, we keep talking about, the, you know, the new Catholic Renaissance. Um, Sam uh, Sorich calls it Catholic new wave. Like, we, we're, we're in on this and we want to make this happen. And, and these are things that are laying the groundwork like we were talking about for, you know, the next filmmakers that are coming after us. And we know that even though we didn't have it all figured out before we started, the next, the next film that gets made, the next group of ragtag filmmakers that wants to make, change the world, like they can look back to what we did and see, okay, these are the lessons that we learned from this. You know, we're we're pioneering this, but this is like foundation. I don't know if that makes any sense. Like, this is important groundwork. The blood, sweat, and tears. This we're we're laying this out, and it things great things are going to be built on this. I don't know. That's that's kind of the sense I have in my heart on that. Yeah, when you when you say the new renaissance, the new wave, like, I guess what do you, what do you see in your head? Uh, what and and also like what what about the the way that this project happened gave you a vision for that? I think it goes back to the very first Catholic Creatives podcast that I ever listened to. And, and I actually went back and listened to a little bit of it before our call today, um, before our, our recording. But it was uh, Leah Murphy, and she was um, who works over at Life Teen. And she was just talking about filmmaking, and she was talking about listening to like the Pirates of the Caribbean a score in her car, and I remember putting it on afterwards, and just that same feeling that I had in my heart listening to that music and being like, I don't know, something, something in it, like the the interview with Marcellino, like something inside of me was just like me too, like like I, it resonated. It was like a kindred spiritness kind of thing, and and I think that's what I felt every time I go on the Catholic Creatives Facebook group, or we have a call, or we, you know, we do stuff together. It's like 
this is where I, I need to be. This is where I know my gifts are going to have a bigger impact for, I, I know this sounds cliche, but for like the kingdom of God, we always use these fancy church words, but like, it's going to make a difference for people. And I think that's like, I think about like uh, the, the Texas film, 2AM Lullaby. And that story of just, um, it's basically, I think it's a janitor. What's the story on that one? You guys can read it yeah, online. Yeah, it's a janitor. Go ahead. <laughs> it's a janitor basically meeting and uh, having an, an encounter with a burlesque dancer in Austin. Yeah, but in the story, you know, he doesn't see her as an object the way everyone else sees her. He sees her as a person. He sees her as a human who who has this void in her heart and he... He tries to 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 see her as a person, and when he sees her and she realizes that this guy's not seeing me as a thing but as a human, that changes her. And I think that that's where we're trying to, you know, not be not limit ourselves to the confines of the cliches and the the way things have been done, but say, you know, like Jesus is a person who loves you. Let's share Jesus with you as a person, not as an institution, not as not as this big fancy thing, but just like person to person. It really, I don't know. I, that's, it's, it's such a, it's such an important thing for me personally, um, as a Catholic, as a Christian to share my faith, but to do it in a way that is real with people. It's not, not like, you know, come join my club. It's like, you gotta meet Jesus, you know? So I don't know. And so a part of it was like being able to experience all these other people that also wanted to do that and were committed to working together to make it happen um i guess is that sort of what you're saying yeah i think yeah i think that's where i'm going with that right like this this sharing of the gospel that is uh somehow team oriented and and new yeah Therese, what about you i mean you and i talked about the new renaissance like in a podcast earlier so there's something there's already groundwork for that, but how did this project give you a better, yes, vision for what that looks like? Um, yeah, um, I had always kind of had the conviction before ever working on this project that film was one of the best ways to share the gospel, um, and I mean the the gospel in the sense of showing the face of Christ to someone um, without necessarily ever having to say his name. Um, it makes me think of like. Les Miserables or something like stories like that, where, um, you just see the characters and you see people who reflect a love like Christ and they don't even have to talk about him to show that. Um, I think that's what sharing the gospel in the film looks like. So when these films came across, um, when I ran into them, um, it was just really cool to see like this desire in my heart that had always been there of, I want to see more films like this. I want to see films that um, are an example of, yeah, authentic sharing of the gospel with people without being, um, I don't know, like a precious moment story. I heard someone say that the other day. I was like, that's really good. Oh, precious moment. Like, that's yeah, precious. Like, okay. <laughs> like, it's very scrubbed up and perfect and clean. Like, these stories that are part of the eight beats, um, films are really raw and they deal with real world problems that people actually face. And we're showing it in a way that reflects 
I think, the way that Christ would see it when he encountered it. And he encountered things like that when he was alive on earth. Um, he met with prostitutes. He met with tax collectors and people who were looked down upon by society. And um, he didn't judge them. He just looked at them, and he loved them in his look, in his gaze. Um, yeah, so anyway, these films, I think, are going to be that for people. Um, and that was what was so exciting about working on this project. Um, yeah, and I'm just really excited to see what they look like when they come out, just knowing what the stories are now. Um, yeah, it's been really fun to work on them. I I feel like part of, for me, the experience of it was the new Renaissance was like an idea, right? Like it's kind of, it's almost even a, a catchphrase now in some ways, like we've just said it so much. So it's like, what is it? I don't know. It was very abstract, like this future thing that could happen possibly if we all work together. Hurrah. Um, and I think the summit helped us to, to give a little bit of a taste of that. Like this could really be a real thing. Look at all this talent. You know, we're all doing cool stuff. We could if we work together, we could like do something really awesome. Um, and then realizing that sharing the gospel creatively like that takes actual work and like takes actual strategy and all of the things that we've like tried to learn professionally um all of the the issues that can be encountered when you have to really work with people like come up so how how did i guess actually working on something like this uh i guess make more formal and more concrete your vision of what the new renaissance is going to look like or looks like right now that's a big question <laughs> um i'd say for me um working on the project i i was surprised and i wasn't surprised in the amount of work that has to go into something like this um because i've always kind of known looking at good quality work especially with films I, you just know that there's a ton of work that goes into every single detail of every part of that piece. Um, and so, yeah, getting into it and kind of seeing the actual nitty gritty of what that work really looked like. Um, it wasn't surprising in that, in that I had kind of already expected that. Um, it was surprising in that um, part of it was we were all working remotely. Um, and so working with people collaboratively, um, I was surprised by how challenging it was sometimes and how it was especially more difficult sometimes to communicate um, ideas and to get on the same page across the board um, because doing the actual work isn't that hard in the sense of it, once you know what you're doing, you just do the work. Um, and obviously you have to do a quality job, but um, you know it's a little bit more cut and dry. Whereas the background work of laying out the foundations and the ideas and the strategies. Um, that was a lot more difficult, um, working with people. Um, and we didn't have as much time to kind of figure all of that out to begin with. So that was kind of surprising to me to see, um, I don't know, just working on sharing the gospel with people was going to require a lot from each of us personally, um, to kind of get over our own um, hangups on things and to learn to work with people different from us and things like that. I mean, I guess it isn't really surprising when you think about it because that's how he works, but <laughs> <laughs> how did you have to do that? 
primarily just trying to communicate like across like our Slack channels and stuff like that. Like, okay, here's what we're doing. Or um, what do you guys think of this? And then there were like a barrage of all of these ideas and feedback and it would be tough to be like, okay, well, we actually need to make a decision and um, we have a timeline on this. And so um, sometimes we just kind of had to put our foot down and say like, okay, well, we don't have time for that. We just got to like do this right now. Um, But yeah, I, I don't even remember what it looked like, but I just remember it being pretty chaotic sometimes with just how how many voices there were because there's so many people working on this. Um, and I, it was really helpful too, like to get everybody's feedback, but sometimes it was just overwhelming um, when you needed to get a job done. Yeah. I think that's definitely part of the whole, like laying the foundation. And I think part of it is when you have a lot of people who are motivated by like, and driven by this sort of common purpose, like figuring out, like we all got into this committed relationship with each other without having any idea how like who each other were or how to work with each other. We were not just learning how to work on this. We were trying to learn how to like communicate with a bunch of different people we'd never met before. Um, and I think in reality, if you honestly look at that, you have to say this should not have worked. Like it should not have happened these relationships should not have been able to sustain the high pressure of what we were doing. Like we should not one in general, we should not have been able to raise $80,000 in a month and a half. That was not something that was in the cards for us. But part of why I think like you can look at it and say, there's, there's miraculous grace here is because it was done with a bunch of people that did not know each other. And um, who committed to each other without any sort of boundaries or like hierarchy in place or any of that stuff like reset, you know? Um, the only way that that could possibly work is if everyone shared enough of, um, well, one, with grace, but also shared enough of this common value set of, um, I guess, the kingdom to be able to humble themselves enough to accept, okay. Teresa's in charge. We're going to do what she says, even though we don't know her at all. And we have very strong opinions because, you know, I've I've been a marketing director before. You know what I mean? So that kind of humility that people had to to settle into roles and to trust each other uh, right from the get go was kind of amazing. Yeah, we all came in with our, you know, our own workflows and our own ways of doing things and our own kind of creative design methods and at the end of the day, it's like, yeah, we don't have time to do a full, you know, a half a day design sprint to figure out what our tagline is. We don't have time to, you know, I don't know, go back and forth. So I think a lot of us that were just trying to, you know, either come up with ideas or or just trying to contribute, I think, think you know, the Holy Spirit inside of all of us was kind of like, you know, let's just, you know, like creating um, like a familiarity and a, and a level of, you know, like let's trust that the the leadership that we've been given knows what they're doing. And a lot of that helped, I think, because like, I know that we all came up with crazy cool ideas and we wanted to like work on Trello and on Asana and have all these really cool, like assign everything, you know, like a neat way and organized. And then it was like, could y'all just do the work? Like, let's not worry about, you know, tasking people and whatever. It was just like, Hey, can you create the social media graphic for me? Sure. Bing, you know, email it back. 
So it was a lot of like getting out of our own heads and just doing the work. And that was, it was a lot of trust, but it was also very freeing, I think. I don't know. How do you, do you guys feel about that? Yeah. I mean, so much of it was trust with our team, um, but also trust in myself and trust in God. Like I did not expect to be like having to lead that, you know, I didn't know what that meant. Um, And when I got into it and really saw it, I was like, I cannot believe how fucking arrogant I was to think that I could do this, you know, like I am so over my head, so over my head, I'm going to fail. Like that was my own sort of sense. Um, I guess I've been like praying a lot about um, like anointing and, story of David and Goliath, uh, because I think there was something there that was really interesting that I just sort of have discovered, which is that I I don't think that David won because of his courage. I think a lot of people talk about that story because they point out that David was really courageous and had faith in God, which is which is really true. But I think that part of it was because he was already anointed to be king. And so when he stepped into his role and he was doing that role, there was this supernatural grace that was given him that flipped the equation of like muscle plus experience equals victory. Like the whole flesh world equation of power was completely turned on his head because he was operating out of his anointing. What he was supposed to be doing is calling. And in my experience of the project i was like i was facing a goliath like this is way too big for me in the natural world to actually be able to to do um and yet somehow i think because all of us were actually called to do it like there was this i don't know like salvation there even in the darkest hours like somehow god pulled it out of out of its um failures and just like made it happen (laughs) so I don't know if you guys felt that, but there was like this, all right, there's something here that's beyond our marketing efforts that's going on. Because if it was just us and God was not doing this with us, uh, we would have failed in the second week, you know, at least. Yeah, I totally felt that too. Yeah, I mean, we all were making, looking back, like a lot of mistakes were made, um, but it didn't matter. Like it, we still... We still got the funding we needed, but yeah, I don't know. It just felt like this was something that God really wanted to happen. Um, because I think all of us, like directors, people working the marketing part, all of us felt like we were way in over our heads and how on earth could we possibly meet this desire that we all have of reaching the world with stories like this, um, with our lack of experience or lack of time or, um, just whatever we felt like we didn't have. Um, I don't know. It's still, it's happening still somehow. Part of our experience of being creatives in the church and part of what we share as kindred spirits is this, this sense of God, like the church just does not get it and they will not get it. And we're like, we're outsiders to it because like, we're trying to do this thing and it's not there and it's not accepted yet. Like, um, for you guys, was there, a as, we hit some of our big 
challenges, you know, two weeks where nothing was raised and not a peep was heard and no PR was given us. Like when you were in those moments, did you feel that that wound there? Like was part of it not just I can't trust myself, but like this wound of the church isn't going to get behind this. Totally, especially when it came to um, sharing the message with family or friends or yeah, especially like the PR efforts, trying to get in touch with other um, Catholic organizations or churches or dioceses or whatever we were trying to get a hold of. Um, it just felt like we were trying to sell something that it was like a foreign language. Like people did not understand why, like, why do we need this? Um, it just really showed me that I think a lot of Catholics don't understand beauty still, Um and that's kind of what we were trying to sell mostly because we want to, we want to spread the gospel. We want, we want to tell it in a beautiful way. Um, and I think I felt like a lot of Catholics as I was trying to connect with people about this, just didn't understand why that was important. Like why not just the, um, the typical Christian or Catholic film where it's just kind of preached to you. Like, why do we even need this? Um, also it's kind of risque and like that makes me uncomfortable, like things like that. Um, and it just kind of made me feel, yeah, like that wound, like you mentioned of, um, wow, no one really gets my heart or like the way that I see the world and the way that I know God has blessed me with seeing things. And yeah, I don't know. It was just made pretty evident pretty quickly. It's like we were putting it all out there, but we realized like we had needed a lot more time. Like, like let's say we got this really great package out to somebody and it's like, oh, yeah, we'll add it to our queue in three weeks. And we're like, no, but we need you to, like, air it tonight or, like, put it on your web. Like, can you just share it on your social media today? Like, I know you've got your calendar, but, you know, it was, like, a lot of that, like, trying to negotiate, like, you know, a spot, like a, like a time slot on people's schedules of, like, you know, oh, well, I, you know, we need five levels of approval before we can. It was like, you know, so a lot of it was just trusting that, you know, trust but, but yeah, what, what Terry said about like, you know, do people, are people believing in the work that we're doing and, and, you know, can we still do the work that we're doing if nobody believes in us, but God. So say we're going back to that time in the doldrums. Like, I think this was three weeks in, there's the first week of general success and we had some wind in our sails and it was out and it was new and fresh and it was cool. And then we hit week two and three two started to drop and then three it was just like nothing we were in the desert we were like completely completely alone in the darkness and uh week four was exactly the same thing like more of that we were now i think it was like two weeks out or something um when things started to turn around but we had those two weeks where it was just like this is the worst thing and i remember calling you guys uh like calling everybody on the marketing team personally, individually, and just being like, okay, guys, like we're going to have faith in God to like make some big things happen, but we're not going to be able to make the funding. We're just not going to do it. And it's not, we're not actually going to get funded. So let's just focus on getting some stuff out. You know, I, that was what I said to you guys. <laughs> it's not going to happen. Yeah. And you know, it's funny on, on one of the calls when we were deciding the format of our, of our fundraiser. So, um, Kickstarter is all or nothing. Indiegogo has this option where you can actually, um, if you don't make your funding, you can still get partial flex funding. 
And I remember on the call where we had, I think it was you, Marcellina, Therese, and, and Cecilia, and we were kind of making and that- And Sam. And Sam. And we were making the decision of whether we were going to do all or nothing or flex funding. And I was voting, I was saying, you know, let's do the flex funding. We don't know what work's going to happen. And Marcellino just says, burn the ships. No, that was Sam. That was Sam that, that was, said burn that was the Sam. ships. That was Sam that said burn the ships. Okay, so I remember Marcellino. So sorry, Sam. Sam says burn the ships. And at first I was like, what the, like, <laughs> what are you thinking, man? And then, but by the end of the call, it was like our rally cry. We were like, yeah, we're going to burn the ships. So burn you, the ships. Yeah. <laughs> And I'm like, but it's a really small boat. <laughs> um, but then, but then, and when we get to like the desolation, if you will, and it's like, you know, it's like time to pull out abandonment to divine providence. We're like, we're praying, we're doing like novenas and rosaries and we're, we're praying like our hearts out for this. And, you know, you, you make that call and we're just there. You know what? We're like, you know, like it's at that point where, um, there's a scripture in Thessalonians that says, um, the one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. And I've just always like come back to that verse because it's like the one who calls you is faithful and you're going to be able to do it. No, it says he will do it. So it's, it's that, that, that trust of like, you know, what we know for a fact that like, you know, we were called to do this and it was that trust, like that trust. It was that faith, that knowing, you know what, God, even if we don't raise the money, we've, we've broken, we've broken the ice on this. Like we've, we've, we've made an impact and, you know, if we don't get the money, then we'll still figure out how to make the films. It'll be like, you know, it'll be an eight minute film of anthology of one minute films. You know, we'll find a way to make it. (laughs) It'll be like eight commercials, but you know, and, and then and then the money started coming in at, out of like almost nowhere. And I know that you and Marcellino had been pounding the pavement trying to prospect on the bigger donors. So can you share with us a little bit about what that was like? None of our prospects panned out. I did tons of prospecting. I went to the Good Profit Conference. I went to Napa. I went to where all the rich Catholics hung out. And I had shrimp scampi with them and drank wine and came back with zero dollars. Total zero dollars. Uh, and I was like, you know, cause I saw these things, they were in my calendar. So they were my hope. I was, I, I, I just knew that somehow I would be able to get it there because like it wasn't working elsewhere. And then I had those things and they didn't like nothing panned out as like, what the hell is going to go down? And, uh, I mean, there was that one friend that I had that's like, that gave that first 20 K investment that gave us the faith to like, keep going. Um, but after that, all the major invest- investments that we got completely dropped out of the blue, like 100% complete gifts. Yeah. Can, can I just do a quick little PSA? Matching grants work. That was the biggest lesson that we learned is, is when you know somebody is going to match your dollar, like it actually helps. It actually works. That's like lesson... You know, I don't know. That was the biggest fundraising lesson I learned, but keep going on the, so who was the, can we share who who that next big gift was from? Yeah, it was. Was it the 10K? Yeah, no, it was, it was a 20K gift. So I I went to this pitch and we had just finished the treatment. I I think I've told the story on, on like the podcast before, but, um, the Marcelino and I just printed off the treatment. We hadn't even proofread it. So there's still typos and crap on it. And I put it in the back of my car and we got to this guy's house and we just finished this like 
intense conflict team meeting where a lot of people were like, I don't know if this is going to happen. Like there are people quitting and uh, I walk. So like the worst possible mindset that I could be in, get off the phone, walk into his house. I, I pick up the treatment from the back of my car and apparently there was something like on the back of my seat that was like gooey. And so there's like this goo all over the treatment. And I was like, God, like everything is going wrong. <laughs> um, yeah, I walk in, like I kind of skim through it really quick so he can't look too closely at it and over dinner. And, um, you know, he finally cut off the, the conversation um, after about an hour and was like, all right, I think I think we're done here. You know, like as a VC guy, like you know those people that just shut. They just we're done. Conversations over. Leave my house, kind of thing. Like on Shark Tank. Yeah, exactly. It was like Shark Tank when Kevin's like, and now we're gonna decide what we're gonna give you. Yeah, and and so I like left and was like, Marcelino and I just were completely demoralized because it was the end of a really hard day. And then he gave me a call. Um, his name is Pete Stein, by the way. So like a VC here in Dallas. And he called me and was like, yeah, um, Pauline and I talked and we're in for 20. And I was like, <laughs> who says 20? Like, I just didn't even know what that meant. Like, am I going to get a $20 check? Like, you know, <laughs> uh, it slowly dawned on me what that meant. Uh, and that I just, just such a God thing. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And all my experiences of fundraising too. That's just, that's like, that's what he does. Like the, the moments where you feel like, wow, that could not have gone more poorly. Or like I could have put in so much more effort or work or like basically nothing that we did brought that about. It was just entirely God. Yeah, a hundred percent. But I mean, part of it, I think was the fact that we were faithful and asked, you know, like it wasn't that our our actual strategy and the power of our our marketing chops or whatever or my salesmanship made it it was the fact that we're stepping out into something that god was calling us to that brought it to fruition you know so i want to go back though to the question about um the wound like i know for me part of what i was having to work out was like my own faith that in reality, this isn't just like a dream or a, a fancy marketing idea or a buzzword. Like this whole new renaissance thing actually is something that God is doing and is calling us to. And the church is going to get on board. Like we're not just alone. Voices like voices crying out in the wilderness, like fighting through that identity crisis was something that was happening every day during the project. And I was wondering how seeing God starting to like the the community of the church rallying around it how did that change and heal you in your own hearts and your experiences of being a creative that is an orphan in the church Therese you you go I'd say that's still something that I'm working through um that feeling of kind of being an orphan in the church a little bit especially working in the church um but I will say that working with everyone who worked on the Eight Beats project was very healing in that, wow, there are a lot of people actually that feel the same call that I feel, um, whose hearts burn for the same things that mine does. And um, 
that was a really, that was a huge gift. Um, just to see how hard everyone was pouring themselves into this project, whether it was the actual filmmakers or the people working together with marketing. Um, that was really amazing to see that at least we're all fighting for the same things. Um, even if it means that, you know, like in the desolation time of the, wow, this, we're not going to, we're not going to get the funding we need for this. Um, at least I was like, well, at least we like, we're all on the same team. We, at least we all feel the same way about this. Um, I don't know. It was just kind of a, a really cool camaraderie. Um, even that in that we're all spread out across the, the country and whatnot. Um, there are other people who desire the same things. That was really special. So the team itself, that was a really special thing to be able to like go through that together. You know, I'm, I'm always going to remember those late night phone calls where we were in it and had to have faith and just like go through the crucible together, you know, like that's that experience of um, camaraderie is like, going to war together or something you know <laughs> so you take that back with you for sure but also like it wasn't just our team that that sacrificed for it like we we asked the church to do that and um it responded that was to me the most surprising and i think healing thing too is that like we weren't left alone you know yeah and I think a lot of, I mean, at least when I came into this whole thing, um, I hate sales, like anything related to fundraising. My sister is great at it. She would get all the prizes in elementary school for selling the most chocolate bars and magazines. And I would like sell five to my mom and call it a day. So like to, for me to be in charge of the Indiegogo was like five miles outside of my comfort zone. And it was... I mean, I keep going back to like trusting, but it was like this, just all of us, this amazing lesson of just being like, okay, like let's, yeah, you're scared. You have no clue if that this is like going to work out, like researching till like two in the morning, trying to understand how crowdfund crowdfunding works. But then also like knowing that we had our, each other's backs, that like, if I couldn't figure something out, I could call Cecilia. I could call Anthony. I could, you know, get emails to, Therese and try to like say, Hey, Therese, I wrote this email. You know, I don't know if this is good. Like, can you fix it? Help me with this, you know, and, and having each other, that, that, that bond of having each other, of knowing that we had each other's backs, even though we've never met, we all lived in different time zones. Like, like the Lord brought us together, but it, it was that, that like glue that held it. I don't know the, the glue that held us together through those dark times and it actually, at least for me personally, I've always kind of doubted myself in my abilities. And I know I'm artsy and creative, but I never really felt like a lot of times, you know, you just don't feel like a professional, even though you're getting paid to do creative work. There's this level of self-doubt of like, you know, is this flyer really going to like attract anybody's attention? You know, and that's a flyer for like, I don't know, a medical course or something really boring. You're like kind of get like stuck in, in this like, cycle of just doing the same old same old and you never really think that you know am I really having an impact in the world am I like what am I doing with my life 
and it's it's like that escalated quickly i know well i mean it's like it's like when you're kind of like i just finally saw the office for the first time like i'd never watched the show and i related to so many things especially to pam and it was like you know you're working in an office in a corporate environment and and it's it's projects like eight beats that was like kind of throwing me that 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 rope of that that idea of like you know take all this creative energy you have and pour it into this and and it it actually like grew and i i at least as an artist as in a creative i feel more confident in my abilities now because i've been able to share it with like you know more than 100 doctors at a medical conference i don't know but it's like you know um getting to work with you guys like it's like the iron sharpens iron like getting to work with all of you guys has made me a better artist and going through this crucible has purified like it's I feel like we're all like pure silver now after this I don't know does that make does that resonate with any of you yeah totally (laughs) Therese what do you have to say to that I don't know what else I would want to add to that um I I will say though that it was really cool to see everyone's um gifts and talents come out um just kind of as we were sharing ideas and strategies with people or as we were going along and people were like, Hey, I think it'd be great if we did this instead. Um, or I can kind of take ownership of this little part of it or whatever and run with it. Um, it was really cool to see how our gifts, not only were we sharpening each other, but we were complimenting each other too. Um, we saw the gaps and holes that others hadn't seen yet. And we were just kind of like, yeah, let's just, let's, fix it. Let's take care of it. Um, so that was really helpful for me as well as a creative and as an artist. Um, the complementarity, because most of my own personal work is on my own. I haven't really ever done a collaborative project before. Um, and seeing how we all complemented each other really well was a really cool experience. Mm-hmm. And getting to work on like one part that you just felt really like good at. I think that's probably a a cool experience too to, to feel like I can just do this thing that I really good I'm good at and I can let everybody else do the things that I'm not um which I feel like is actually kind of a rare experience for those of us who are working in nonprofits or in the the you know like uh church world where there's not enough of like a team to be able to have that sort of specialization um so yeah I think that's a really cool thing too be able to see what it feels like to work in an, in an environment like that. But it was nice to wear just one hat for a change. <laughs> you you were way... If there's anybody on the project who wore more than one hat, it was Mari V. That's for damn sure. But yeah, at least you didn't have to film the videos too, you know? I want to change lanes real quick and get practical. So there's a lot of people who listen to the podcast and a lot of people who are a part of the community that put on crowdfunding campaigns, right? Like this is actually something that's very practical and very uh, universal. They all want to fund their ministries. They want to fund a new CD that's coming out or a new project that they're they're working on. It might not be something that's at the scale of 8Beats, but it's still something that uh, takes a lot of work and planning and, and thought. So I want to get concrete and talk a little bit about advice for those people. What do you guys think Uh, they should do and what are mistakes that we made that they can avoid because we've made them for them? Um, I would say one of the biggest things is actually just doing it. That's probably the hardest thing to do is taking your idea and actually starting it and just putting it out there because that's the scariest thing to do. Um, 
I know I felt that when we were putting this project out, I was just like, are people even going to care? Like, yeah. this means a lot like, to ah. me, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and that's, it sounds like the simplest thing, but it's, I think the hardest thing to do is just putting it out there. Um, and then the biggest thing I learned and a part of it was, it was a mistake for us, but also we just, that's just what we had to work with. We couldn't really fix it, um, was having time to do the groundwork beforehand. So taking a lot of time before putting a product together to actually strategize who is my audience, um, what's the message, how do I want to communicate this to everyone, um, just doing a lot of like the ideation and strategy behind um, the crowdfunding before it's put out. Because um, it could be tempting to just kind of put something out there, kind of throw something together and just hope that people are like, yeah, that's a cool idea. Um, and that's kind of what we literally did, but that's because we had to. <laughs> um, but for other people, yeah. I want to jump in on yours real quick for just a second. Something that we did that, that Catrice came up with, though, I think that was a really good idea, was having phases to our fundraising campaign. So the first phase was a very specific audience, and then we slowly expanded it. So that made it easier for us to, in the language that we chose and the voice that we had for that first set of copy to make it very specifically Catholic. And then once we passed that first speed button like once that first point then we change the language to make it a little more ecumenical expanding it a little more so I think that's what was a really great thing that I think we did that we were able to do now if you can develop we could if we could have developed that further it would have been even better but I think that was a something that helped a lot yeah I mean one of the things that we learned and realized is that like we needed a lot of PR and the PR cycle is you just have to get in people's calendars way ahead of time. So really, like, we shouldn't have put the thing out and then been ch like we're chased by our own deadline. You know, like that's the pressure that is somehow made us accountable to doing it. But also, like, the the real ideal would have been everybody knows it's coming out. All the PR pit places already have a um, have the press kit and know it's going to happen, and then we've lined up those media spots to be happening like each week of the before. Yeah. Right. Well, even before, um, I think a great example of a marketing campaign of a crowdfunding was every sacred sun, every sacred Sunday with the journal and Corey with the created book. Um, they laid the groundwork before and started the marketing campaign so that people were waiting for the first day to happen. Unfortunately, we waited till the first day to announce that we were doing the Kickstarter and that it was open. Don't do that. Uh, I, I'd also say like one of the things that was really helpful was like figuring out how to use our momentum to get more momentum. Like that was if if there's anything that we figured out how to do that that saved us was that like how do we leapfrog from one one success that's like our only success in the the gigantic pond of like no other land to be seen how do we how do we use that to like find another lily to to like get up on you know so um one of those is like the matching things i think we matched the way that we did matching was actually really really helpful so maybe you guys could speak to that yeah. Um, one thing I am going to say that we didn't know when we were coming into the whole thing was Kickstarter has a waiting period and an approval process before you can launch your campaign. Indiegogo does not. So 
when we did plan, we thought it was like a regular website, you know, you hit publish and there it is online. No, it doesn't work that way. So that was one of the motivating factors for us to switch to Indiegogo because we knew that we could switch, we could switch, flip a switch on, on the back end and it was going to, was going to be live. So if you do want to do your, your, indie, your Kickstarter, you need to plan out at least three weeks before to have it already online, even though nobody knows it's there yet. But, you know, just give yourself that buffer. And I want to give a big shout out to William Price, um, who was one of our filmmakers. And he did he funded one of his films on Kickstarter and gave us a tremendous amount of feedback and advice. And he really he helped us kind of make it through the little crazy moments that we were having. So total shout out. I mean, it was all about morale in a lot of ways. Like the weird thing was that success draws success and when it looks like it's not successful nobody wants to jump in on it and they feel really really weird for trying to come out and support you know um so figuring out how to spotlight the successes was like a major um part of the strategy um as we were like this is this is all we have you know um and i i remember Part of it was like using, so we we got that first 20K as a, a fund and the the ideal would have been to just keep that without putting it into the Kickstarter at all or Indiegogo at all um, because we were going to get something like 8 to 10% taken out right off the top if we did that. Um, but we decided to put $10,000 right into the campaign immediately. Um, specifically for morale like we were paying to show everyone that we had money and once we did that it jarred people into like okay well one there's ten thousand dollars in here and we lose that a hundred percent if we don't like keep going and then two we actually have money like some people believe in us so uh maybe more people will you know what i mean um and then saving that 10k for a match to do later uh rather than putting all 20 in at that point was like a major 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 uh successful decision you know on our end like how to how to use that money to make momentum happen you know so yeah what were some other things that that Therese, that you learned throughout it that you think would be useful for people um, I think it was really helpful to kind of, um, really highlight the communal aspect of the project, both for the people working on it, as well as the, the backers. Um, cause once we started getting money coming in and, um, filmmakers were kind of just starting to kind of share ideas and things like that, and we were able to kind of put that out there on social media, um, I think that's kind of what really helped. Like you were talking about Lily Pat off some successes um, and kind of calling out some names of big, um, big donors and stuff like that. I think that kind of helped people see that, okay, this is actually going to be a thing. Um, and I don't know what about the community part of it was super helpful, but I just, I just see that it was a success to do that um, because we started getting more money when we did that too. Um, I don't know. It made it, I think it made it just seem like maybe I wanted to be a part of this too kind of feeling for people. Oh, for sure. 
yeah, that was a big, big part of it. it was like, I think the way that it can't that it came off to people um who were jumping in as donors was that they were joining it you know they weren't just um giving a little bit of money to be able to get the product which is a lot of a lot of times when you do a kickstarter that's really product focused the way that people are motivated to buy it is they're getting a discount they're getting an early um there's a little bit of honor to that that you get to to have uh, as being one of the first funders, but it is very tied to getting something. Um, and for us, you could tell that it was a hundred percent, not that like they were getting to be a part of the team. And we just had to double down on that as we saw that it was working, you know? So what, what were some of the other major, like, uh, things, potholes that we hit? They were like, man, we sh you guys should avoid doing that. Or, um, tips and tricks that you think we did well that, that we can have people learn from when we were trying to organize the designers we had a lot of volunteers i think this just goes back to volunteer organizing but with the designers we kind of hit a roadblock where we needed a design but there were five people that were on our design our design volunteers but we didn't know their schedule we didn't know when they were available to do it so we ended up assigning Marcellino. You guys decided that Marcellino would step in and kind of be design lead. And then we would just filter the requests to one person versus sending out five messages saying, hey, I need this design. And then getting back 20 questions or no answer at all. So kind of having that point person for your, if you're going to do a large team, having the point person and, and, and kind of spreading out the decision-making. I feel like, Anthony, you had a lot of decisions that you needed to make, that we, we all look to you to make decisions about certain about everything. And there's like a lot of decision fatigue that goes into that. So I think by having the design lead, having the project managers as Cecilia, um, like having different decision-makers that then funneled imp more important decisions up to you but then if it was like something they could decide, they just decide it. And that made it easier, I think, on, on you as the person that by our de facto leader, you know, you, we were, everybody wasn't calling you, you know, what's, what PMS color should the logo be or something ridiculous like that, you know? So having that organization helped a lot. No joke. Yeah. I mean, that's, I don't think most people who run, crowdfunding campaigns end up running them as collaborative projects with tons of volunteers like that. So maybe that was a little distinct challenge I mean, on our end. So, but but sure. then <laughs> what I could say is just to clearly define the roles, like who decides, who gets to decide this? Because that's where you can save a lot of arguments. Like if you're a team of three, one's making the product, you know, one's, one's in charge of the music, one's in charge of the design, and the other one is in charge of marketing, then your design person is the one that makes those decisions. And you can talk about it, but you need to have like the decision maker assigned. And that's going to help with any potential bickering or bad feelings about like, you know, it's not personal. It's just we had to make a decision. And I think that not taking things personally, I think was a very big thing because, you know, Anthony didn't answer my 25 texts. So I'm offended with him now because he doesn't love me anymore. Blah, 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 blah. You know, something like that. Like none of us were offended with each other. If we couldn't immediately answer each other, we knew that, you know, we, we gave everybody the benefit of the doubt 
in the project. And I think that's the benefit of the doubt. Not, I think Brene Brown calls it like the stories we tell ourselves, like not assuming the worst of, of people's reactions to your, to your idea or to whatever your request that, that changes the tone and it, it doesn't let it become combative, which I see a lot in, in my line of work whenever you get a lot of people trying to, with creative ideas, you know, butting heads. Therese, what about you? I think consistency with like anything outward facing um, was another thing that I would have liked to have gone better um, because there was so spotty at times with who was able to work on stuff and um, what stuff we were able to actually share with people on the outside. Um, that was a bit of a challenge, I think, in the times where we were struggling to kind of pick up momentum or keep momentum going. Um, just, yeah, having a plan of what you want people to see on social media or on the web or whatever, um, having a plan and really sticking to that and being consistent with it, um, whether that means it needs to be delegated to someone if you can't get to it. Um, I think that was tough sometimes because when things aren't consistent outward, like on, so especially on social media, I think, um, it's just the way that the algorithms work and everything. It's really hard for people to actually see what you're putting out. Um, and I think that was, that's a good piece of advice I would give people is, um, have like a social media plan, a plan of what you want to roll out on your website, um, and when you're going to do it and sticking to that deadline as much as possible. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that, that we encountered was that we had, we started with a plan and then it became very clear immediately that that plan was not working. Um, and so we had to completely like revise our, um, like revise it because I think part of it was that in the beginning, we just thought that we were going to have a lot more help than we did. We're like, Oh, we have all these people. We'll be able to get them to do this thing and this thing and this thing. And we'll be fine. And then all of a sudden, like, you know, two weeks in people just stop doing their jobs because they're volunteers and they have something, you know, uh, going on and the plan no longer can be executed. Um, so how, what do we do now? You know, I think, some of that, like what got us through that was um, being willing to figure out which parts of the plan were the most important and then just do those while we had, uh, while we could, you know? And then um, when momentum picked back up and people got back involved, being able to re restart that, that other, um, I guess, more ideal path. Totally. And that's a huge marketing thing too, is being able to think on your feet like that, like seeing that something is not working or working and just rolling with the punches and taking off on the stuff that's working and just totally chucking out the stuff that's not and kind of being able to just go with it when that happens. Yeah. Another, another foundational thing that I think we did really well, and it's um, Daniela Madrid's brand guide. That that changed the game for design because we had really clear, uh, a really clear guidebook of what the, what the brand should look like. So when we asked the designers to put stuff together, we just sent them that and they automatically knew which fonts, which colors, what the types of images should look like. Um, what she did creating um, the individual sub logos for each of the beats I thought was beautiful. Like that was just something really cool that she did. Obviously, you know, 
for your project, you don't have to do like a logo for each song. But um, I think just that idea of making those decisions early on of like, you know, what does your logo look like? What colors are you going to use? And sticking to those and what font are you going to use, you know, and sticking with that. And that helps with the visual side of the marketing consistency that that Therese was talking about, because then, you know, all of your posts don't have to be the same exact color, but they all are part of the same family of, of images. And then that helps with the recognizability on social media, too. So not just consistency in the voice, but consistency in the look. That's a big, like huge. Yeah. Starting off with an actually awesome brand guide and and then the copy that we made, you know, we, we made that brand guide. We did core values, which was hard. It was hard to get people to realize why we needed to do this, like to sit down with some of the filmmakers who's, you know, this isn't their thing and actually take the time to do like core beliefs and writing out the why statement. Um, and then from that, creating our like... Uh, I think you guys made this this page. It was tree specifically. You made this this page that was like this is the copy from which mm-hmm. all other copy comes. You know, one copy to rule all copy. <laughs> yes. Uh, and if we didn't have that, like it would have been absolute chaos, and we would have had to reinvent everything, like every post that we made. But it saved so much time to have those things done in the beginning, um, in the long run. You know, so. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's what we based the indie, the, the copy on the crowdfunding website. It's what we based the copy on the website from. It's what we based the social media posts came from that. I mean, it was between that document and the brand guide. Those were the Bible that we worked off of. And that helped the whole group cohesion because we knew we all were all working from the same playbook. So we're hitting our time here. I think the last thing that I would say is one of the things that is uh, has always been a part of the group conversation is should we volunteer our time for things, you know, and if so, when should we do that? And how do we know it's worthwhile? A big part of what we're trying to do is to make it possible for all of us artists to actually make money and make a living doing the things that we need, know that are important. Right. Um, so volunteering is something that is a lot of, there's a lot of controversy around that. And I wanted to ask you guys, what was the value of this for you? And when or how and why would you recommend other people to volunteer in collaborative projects like this? Um, I think for me, I kind of think of it as volunteering for something um, like a corporal work of mercy type of thing. Um, not to equate creative work as that, but in the sense of there's something that I'm doing that goes beyond myself. Um, it's for a bigger cause than me. It's for something that I truly deeply believe in and really aligns with my core values, my deepest desires. I think when you're volunteering, um, it should have those qualities, um, in the same way you would do for, yeah, like you're going to help out at a soup kitchen or whatever you're doing it because, you love Christ and you love other people. Like there's something about it that's aligning with your truest self. Um, I wouldn't recommend volunteering because of all of the time and effort and everything. If it's just something you're doing just because someone asked you to, or um, I don't know, like there isn't anything about it that, um, that you care about, but when it's something that really resounds in your heart and you feel I have to do, I have to be a part of this. I have to do this because this is so 
deeply aligned with what I believe in. Um, I think volunteering when it's done for that reason, um, God will use that not for just for yourself, but for a lot of other people as well, because the desires that he gives us, um, aren't just for ourselves. They're for other people too. And when we act on those desires, um, whether or not we're making money from them, um, yeah, he takes it and he blesses it big time. Yeah. The only thing I want to add to that, because I mean, you said it better than I could have is the idea of like the guilt. Like sometimes people try to guilt you into volunteering for something. And I think that whenever you feel that like somebody's trying to guilt you into it, then that's a kind of a red flag to say, let's see if this is really something that I want to spend my time doing. Because I think it's very easy to get sucked into doing church ministry stuff because of that that feeling an obligation or a guilt. So going back to what Teresa said, um, it's it's that desire, it's that joy. Like when I when I think back on all of those dark nights, you know, the dark soul of the, the dark night of dark night of the soul that we went through with eight feet, dark soul of the night. I don't know how to talk. Dark soul of the night. That's gonna be my next blog post. Um, anyways, um, like I remember those with joy, knowing that it was like we kind of offered it up and, and it was a sacrifice that we made for something beautiful to happen. And like, we're still not done yet. Like we, we raised the 80 K, but that's not like the films are being made, like even as we speak and like, we still have a long road ahead of us. So, you know, if you still like to donate, you know where to go, but, um, or join the team. Like it's not too late. You can still, we're still burning the ship, but you can still join us. Um, (laughs) But, like, there's still a long road. Like, this is going to be, 2018 is going to be an amazing year, I think, for 8Beats, for, for Catholic creatives. Um, it's going to be an amazing year. And and it's well, like, it's worth it's worth the late nights. It's worth the tears. It's worth the, all the frustration that we've dealt with because, like, it, the volunteering aspect, I think this work has been more satisfying than a lot of my paid work. And I think that's where... Um, that, that decision comes into like, you know, the, the personal satisfaction in the work that you're doing and, and, and just like the, the desires, like God, like when I read about it, it was like, I had that kind of tickle in my heart. I don't know what to call it. Like, you know, thinking this would be cool. I want to be part of it. And to get an invitation to, to do it, it was just like, that was kind of like God saying, pushing me like, go, go, I'm calling you. So just being open, being open to the call. And also discerning, you know, what, what's the motivation, you know, is it guilt or is it, is it a desire from God to do it? And, and he's going to bless it. Cause like, you know, the last thing I'm going to say on that is like, when you're worried about like, Oh, my time, I need to make money. Like God blesses you in bigger ways that you can imagine. If you trust him and you, you give this time to him, he's going to pay it back to you in different ways, more than money sometimes. Like right now, like all you guys that are like now my bestest, best pals. <laughs> so I don't know. It's awesome. Yeah. The ironing, sharpening iron thing. I cannot even tell you like how different I feel now that I've gone through that. Like, dude, we, we were able to take on a challenge that we never would have been given if someone gave us permission to, to do this, you know, like, um, if, if it was really up to like my job, no one would have allowed me to take the risks that we took. And because of that uh, ability, like volunteering to do it, 
I was able to take on a challenge that was way beyond me and in being you know successful with that and <laughs> whatever success however you you qualify that um success yeah, yeah. Quotations. Su- to be successful with that um <laughs> was uh like now there's i just have that under my belt you know like we've done that we've all done it so we could do it again we could do a bigger thing um it, ge- it gives this foundation of like confidence that uh is really cool to be able to have in the in the pocket and i'm sure for you guys like a certain amount of just being able to share our strengths with each other was able to help us grow personally and professionally too so there's there's been value for me um in in some really big ways that are not exactly direct monetizable ties but I am confident are going to somehow pay off in the long run, you know? Um, so yeah, totally. Uh, and with that, I want to let you guys go, but thank you so much for everything that, that both of you have done. You're both, um, amazing Amazonian warrior women of the new Renaissance. So (laughs) thanks for being, being my friends and, uh, for being on the, on the road together. Therese, good luck with, you know, pregnancy, uh, and the creative work that you're doing right now as you're sitting there. Yeah, <laughs> I'm doing creative work and I'm just sitting here. It's great. <laughs> and uh, I'm looking forward, to, uh, looking forward to the future with you guys. It's going to be awesome. In 2016, we issued a call to creatives, entrepreneurs, designers, and artists from all over the continent to come together in Dallas because we believed that the time was ripe for a new renaissance to take place in the church. 85 of the most talented young Catholic leaders in the Americas answered the call, coming together because of this shared vision. And what took place at that summit was a flowering of community that was beyond description. And it is now clear that new da Vinci's, Mozart's, Michelangelo's, Beethoven's, and Medici's are being brought together to blaze new trails for the gospel, to build new businesses, ministries, and works of art that will be catalysts for massive culture change. And if you are listening to this, then you have also answered this call, and we are so grateful for your participation in this movement. If you want to hear more from the speakers, participate in monthly professional development webinars, and be publicly represented on the Catholic Creatives website, you can make this happen by supporting us on Patreon. Your support and your commitment are vital for the growth and mission of Catholic Creatives. And the rewards are awesome. So your help means everyone can benefit even more from our community this year as we sponsor our creative projects and plan next year's summit. The time is ripe for a new renaissance, a counter wave of beauty. Our world needs aesthetically and philosophically articulate leaders, artists, creatives, and risk takers. Our world needs you. We'll look forward to hearing more from you in the community on Facebook and Slack and at the regional meetups and at the summit. We'll see you there.